Chapter Seven of the Fortunes of Glencore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chessy. The Fortunes of Glencore by Charles James Lever. Chapter Seven. A Great Diplomatist. My dear Harcourt, I arrived here yesterday and by good fortune caught your letter at F.O., where it was awaiting the departure of the messenger for Germany. Your account of poor Glencore is most distressing. At the same time, my knowledge of the man and his temper in a measure prepared me for it. You say that he wishes to see me and intends to write. Now, there is a small business matter between us which his lawyer seems much disposed to push on to a difficulty if not to worse to prevent this if possible at all events to see whether a visit from me might not be serviceable i shall cross over to ireland on tuesday and be with you by friday or at latest saturday tell him that i am coming but only for a day my engagements are such that i must be here again early in the following week on thursday i go down to windsor there is wonderfully little stirring here but i keep that little for our meeting you are aware my dear friend what a poor shattered broken-down fellow i am so that i need not ask you to give me a comfortable quarter for my one night and some shellfish if easily procurable for my one dinner yours ever and faithfully h u we have already told our reader that the note was a brief one and yet was it not altogether uncharacteristic sir horace upton it will spare us both some repetition if we present him at once was one of a very composite order of human architecture a kind of being in fact of which many would deny the existence till they met and knew them so full of contradictions real and apparent was his nature chivalrous in sentiment and cunning in action noble in aspiration and utterly sceptical as regards motives one half of his temperament was the antidote to the other fastidious to a painful extent in matters of taste he was simplicity itself in all the requirements of his life and with all a courtier's love of great people not only tolerating but actually preferring the society of men beneath him in person he was tall and with that air of distinction in his manner that belongs only to those who unite natural graces with long habits of high society his features were finely formed and would have been strikingly handsome were the expression not spoiled by a look of astuteness a something that implied a tendency to overreach which marred their repose and injured their uniformity not that his manner ever betrayed this weakness far from it his was a most polished courtesy it was impossible to conceive an address more bland or more conciliating his very gestures 
his voice languid by a slight habit of indisposition seemed as though exerted above their strength in the desire to please and making the object of his attentions to feel himself the mark of peculiar honour there ran through all his nature through everything he did or said or thought a certain haughty humility which served while it assigned a humble place to himself to mark out one still more humble for those about him there were not many things he could not do indeed he had actually done most of those which win honour and distinction in life he had achieved a very gallant but brief military career in india made a most brilliant opening in parliament where his abilities at once marked him out for office was suspected to be the writer of the cleverest political satire and more than suspected to be the author of the novel of the day with all this he had great social success he was deep enough for a ministerial dinner and fast enough for a party of young guardsmen at greenwich with women too he was especially a favourite there was a machiavellian subtlety which he could throw into small things a mode of making the various trifles little chinese puzzles of ingenuity that flattered and amused them in a word he had great adaptiveness and it was a quality he indulged less for the gratification of others than for the pleasure it afforded himself he had mixed largely in society not only of his own but of every country of europe he knew every chord of that complex instrument which people call the world like a master and although a certain shaded and wearied look a tone of exhaustion and fatigue seemed to say that he was tired of it all that he had found it barren and worthless the real truth was he enjoyed life to the full as much as on the first day in which he entered it and for this simple reason that he had started with a humble opinion of mankind their hopes fears and ambitions and so he continued not disappointed to the end the most governing notion of his own life was an impression that he had a disease of the chest some subtle and mysterious affection which had defied the doctors and would go on to defy them to the last he had been dangerously wounded in the burmese war and attributed the origin of his malady to this cause others there were who said that the want of recognition to his services in that campaign was the direst of all the injuries he had received and true it was a most brilliant career had met with neither honours nor advancement and upton left the service in disgust carrying away with him only the lingering sufferings of his wound to suggest to him that his malady had any affinity to any known affection was to outrage him since the mere supposition would reduce him to a species of equality with some one else a thought infinitely worse than any mere physical suffering 
and indeed to avoid this shocking possibility he vacillated as to the locality of his disorder making it now in the lung now in the heart at one time in the bronchial tubes at another in the wells of the aorta it was his pleasure to consult for this complaint every great physician of europe and not alone consult but commit himself to their direction and this with a credulity which he could scarcely have summoned in any other cause it was difficult to say how far he himself believed in this disorder the pressure of any momentous event the necessity of action never finding him unequal to any effort no matter how onerous give him a difficulty a minister to outwit a secret scheme to unravel a false move to profit by and he rose above all his pulmonary symptoms and could exert himself with a degree of power and perseverance that very few men could equal none surpass indeed it seemed as though he kept this melody for the pastime of idle hours as other men do a novel or a newspaper but would never permit it to interfere with the graver business of life we have perhaps been prolix in our description but we have felt it the more requisite to be thus diffuse since the studious simplicity which marked all his manner might have deceived our reader and which the impression of his mere words have failed to convey you will be glad to hear upton is in england glencore said harcourt as the sick man was assisted to his seat in the library and what is more intends to pay you a visit upton coming here exclaimed glencore with an expression of mingled astonishment and confusion how do you know that he writes me from longs to say that he'll be with us by friday or if not by saturday what a miserable place to receive him exclaimed glencore as for you harcourt you know how to rough it and have bivouacked too often under the stars to care much for satin curtains but think of upton here how is he to eat where is he to sleep by jove we'll treat him handsomely don't you fret yourself about his comforts besides i've seen a great deal of upton and with all his fastidiousness and refinement he's a thorough good fellow at taking things for the best invite him to chatsworth and the chances are he'll find fault with twenty things with the place the cookery and the servants but take him down to the highlands lodge him in a shilling with bannocks for breakfast and a fine herring for supper and i'll wager my life you'll not see a ruffle in his temper nor hear a word of impatience out of his mouth i know that he is a well-bred gentleman said glencore half pettishly but i have no fancy for putting his good manners to a severe test particularly at the cost of my own feelings i tell you again he shall be admirably treated he shall have my room and as for his dinner master billy and i are going to make a raid amongst the lobster pots 
and what with turbot oysters grouse pie and mountain mutton i'll make the diplomatist sorrow that he is not accredited to some native sovereign in the aran islands instead of some mere german hotzog he can only stay one day one day that's all he is over head and ears in business and he goes down to windsor on thursday so that there is no help for it i wish i may be strong enough i hope to heaven that i may rally glencore stopped suddenly as he got thus far but the agitation the words cost him seemed most painful i say again don't distress yourself about upton leave the care of entertaining him to me i'll vouch for it that he leaves us well satisfied with his welcome it was not of that i was thinking said he impatiently i have much to say to him things of great importance it may be that i shall be unequal to the effort i cannot answer for my strength for a day not for an hour could you not write to him and ask him to defer his coming till such time as he can spare me a week or at least some days my dear glencore you know the man well and that we are lucky if we can have him on his own terms not to think of imposing ours he is sure to have a number of engagements while he is in england well be it so said glencore sighing with the air of a man resigning himself to an inevitable necessity End of chapter seven